0: in europe mainly uh this time would be barcelona uh it seems that we are going uh live so let's cut our conversation on that uh now we were just discussing traveling travel we both have an hectic agenda in terms of travel so just welcoming the community let's just assure that we are uh, all live before i welcome all of you at home, office, or just uh, committing home. So and we are uh, live. Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, uh, where we bring the best tech leaders in the world to share with you how to scale a business from 2 million to 100 million uh, in ARR. And we do our best to compress week after week what are the best scaling up lessons that we can learn from some of the best tech leaders uh, in the world. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming uh, as our special guest Vikas uh, Bambri, uh, SVP of Global Sales and Customer Experience at Customer. Uh, Vikas, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Mike, thanks for having me, real pleasure. And I look forward to uh, talking to you and sharing some of my experiences uh, with the broader community. That's
0: awesome. And yeah, let's start by getting to know you a little bit more and uh, how you ended that customer.
1: Yeah, so it, it was a really interesting story and tell me if it gets uh, too long winded. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I was most recently prior to customer, I was uh, responsible for enterprise and mid market sales uh, for North America for a company out of San Jose uh, called 8x8. Uh, so Good. global player in the uh contact center as a service and uh, unified communication as a service space. So tremendous experience there had a, had a great run, uh, frankly, wasn't actively looking. And I got a call, uh, from a search firm saying, we'd love to talk to you about a a startup that's doing CRM in New York. And I said, I heard two words, startup and CRM. And I said, thanks, (laughs) but no, thanks. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I've got, I've got the, uh, the battle scars from having competed with, uh, salesforce.com, uh, back in my Oracle days. And, uh, I had no, you know, real interest to, to do it again. So, so I, I said, no, carried on. Uh, fortunately for me, they persisted. Uh, and when I heard about the story of customer, uh, you know, it was really, you know, exciting for me, one the co-founders are senior tech leaders who've built platforms at scale at previous companies. So that was very you know interesting to me like you know some really smart people, uh, not only the co-founders but some of the early investors. The second piece of it is you know at the end of the day I am a CRM contact center uh, person. I've been in the space for 20 plus years so I, I'm passionate about it. So when I heard about the story of the platform I said, this is truly unique. And it's something that we have been trying to achieve in the industry for the 20 plus years that I've been a part of it. So I said, if, if what you're saying to me is true, then these guys are really onto something and I'd, I'd love to dig deeper. And the third piece for me was being part of a leadership team that wanted to be, build a great tech company in New York. Uh, reality is, you know, everybody when they think about B2B SaaS or tech companies, everybody thinks about Silicon Valley. And for a lifelong New Yorker, you know, I, I grew up here. Uh, New York is very important part of, of me and, and my life. I would love to be part of a team that builds a great uh, SaaS company out of New York.
0: That's awesome. And I think that um, we have multiple teams across the globe who are proving it, that it is possible to build up a company from anywhere in the world uh, nowadays. Sure. Let's think, for instance, out of uh, UiPath who decided to scale to New York uh, from Romania. So who would say, uh, and with all the respect to uh, Romania, that uh, one of the next uh, unicorns would be coming uh, from from Romania. So, uh, and of course, New York has much more examples uh, out there. Uh, sure. The, the power of it. So that's that's awesome. And that's also part of what we do uh, as a mission to share with all and to connect people so you can learn from each other and and build those amazing companies with with amazing um, leaders. So let's let's bring the conversation bring into the conversation the 10 rockefeller habits so for the ones who are joining us uh for the first time today the 10 rockefeller habits are a set of very simple habits very simple principles that were kind of applied by john rockefeller one of the most successful businessmen in the history of the united states and that he believes was responsible uh, for the empire that he has uh, built and the Rockefeller habit number one is the executive team is Alfie and alliance. And you just said that part of what convinced you to, to join customer was really the quality of, of the team. And um, I would like to, to, to ask you um, from stage of growth to stage of growth, what we see is that you, we need Alice to keep changing something into leadership team. Because, of course, uh, a team that helped us to go from 2 to 10 million ARR or from 10 to 20, 20 to 30 needs to be uh, a little bit uh, different. And sometimes it's not because we need to fire that specific person. It's just because maybe that person is not also having fun and he or she wants to join another company that now is going through the same kind of challenges and can add much more value there and have much more fun. Sure. than uh, keeping uh, in the company. So uh, how, how do you see yourself joining leadership teams who need to go through this transition? And uh, how, how, what do you think about this, of the importance of keeping iterating on the versions of your leadership team uh, as you grow? Or even about yourself, your own role. You need to change also your own personality.
1: Yeah, no, that, 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 that's a great question. I, the way I look at it is there's no hard line right? There's no, you know, uh, there's no must, you know, I, I know there's so many different uh, blog posts and podcasts and other things where, you know, you've got the, the zero to one per team, you've got the one to 10 team, you've got the 10 to 50 team, etc. I, I think it really boils down to a couple of key things. One is the individuals themselves, what are their backgrounds and their experiences. Uh, you've got somebody like myself, who, you know, frankly, most of my time has been in large companies, you know, I, I mentioned or- Oracle previously, I've been at $150 million publicly traded companies. So for me, this was a unique experience to come to an early stage startup and, and really be part of the team to build it from scratch. Uh, so that, you know, that in itself really boils down to the individuals and their experiences. And what are you trying to achieve? And where are you trying to go? So I think We're looking to build a big enterprise class software company as soon as possible. So that experience that I bring to the table that some of my peers are, you know, our VP of finance uh, came from Dropbox, Zendesk, uh, TalkDesk. So he's got a tremendous amount of experience. So bringing in people for really where you're headed, I think is really critical as, as, especially as a co-founding team or a board. The second piece of it is the individual's willingness to learn and grow. Uh, you know, you may have somebody that comes in and is perfect for your stage. And maybe they're, they come along for that ride because they're not satisfied in their own experiences and they want to continue to learn and grow. And then to your, to your last point about actually enjoying the role and being part of that growth, because there are some people who look, I, you know, I am a builder there, there will come a time where, you know, this thing is so well oiled that maybe I'm no longer excited by this, but I think what's very important, especially once again for a co-founding team, is we have so much IP and intrinsic value in this individual. Yes, maybe they they have outgrown or maybe they're bored of the, their current role. Is there something else they could do in the business? Could they go build our European business? Could they go, Could they give, go? They, could they go build our APAC business? So I think those are the things to think about as you look at. Different individuals in their journey, and then most importantly, at an, you know executive team layer, what do you need within the team, and where are your gaps? You know, you may find that we're really strong, you know, from an execution standpoint, but maybe we don't have a focus or somebody who's got a inclination to go drive culture, or uh, you know, or build teams, and maybe we need to add that skill set into our arsenal. So I think so. Those are some of the thoughts that I have.
0: Very, very good point. And as, assuming that we that we have the right team in place for each stage of growth, then it comes the very difficult decisions that this team needs to uh, to make, or even the CEO needs to step up and, and take the final decision when we are not able to do it um, as a group. And that, that's a, a little bit about, or a lot about the Rockefeller habit number two, which is, everyone is aligned with the number one thing that needs to be accomplished this quarter to move the company forward so kind of doing the exercise from the big or the big aerial issues called the long-term vision and coming back to the next quarter and having also the vision for what is the midterm the one to three year um, uh, milestones that we want to achieve to get to our b and this can be related with. Uh, serving mid-market or enterprise, uh, this can be related about launching product two or product three. This can be related with uh, launching two or three geos, uh, the APAC region, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And usually, we always believe, and especially when we are scaling, that we need to add much more layers to scale faster. And nothing is more uh, counterintuitive because this will slow us down. So yeah, really saying no, 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 and what we always uh, learn about it's. It's super difficult to do in action because we also have the fear of of missing uh, out uh, any path to to grow. So h- how are you able to manage yourself into your own team and also uh, influencing with your experience, your leadership team to assure that you are not trying to do too much uh, at the same time?
1: Sure. So so if you think about a large company, right? You can set annualized goals because frankly if you think about it you're sitting there january 1 as a leadership team you set an annual goal by the time you actually get the organization to pivot to start focusing on that goal you know you're you're basically a quarter in so you really have 6 months of execution before you start thinking about the next at an early stage company i think it's fundamentally different and what we've done here is we have quarterly focuses so what we do as an executive team is we go we have a, a quarterly offsite where we go together, uh, we get away from the office, right? So we can mm-hmm. you know completely shut down and focus. And for two or three days, we come out with what is our execution plan for that quarter. So basically, we use an OKR methodology, where uh, our CEO has his OKRs that then trickle into his leadership team. Uh, we then come back. Uh, back to uh, HQ and we then share that with the entire company. So they understand what the, you know, our, our CEO's OKRs are and then how they impact each department. So each, each you know, myself as the head of sales and CX will then roll it out to my team and my directs and so on and so forth. And then you know, what we do is we make sure that on a weekly basis, we as a leadership team are managing against those OKRs, how are we tracking against them, what are the obstacles? What decisions need to be made? Um, on a monthly basis, we share status updates of those OKRs with the entire company. And so then myself, at, at my level, is I make sure that I'm tracking them on a weekly basis with my leadership team and expecting them to do it with the, all the way down to the individual contributors on their team. So we have a really you know, kind of you know, tight cadence around that. We have to be able to make nimble decisions uh, where we're in a very competitive space against some very you know big competitors with deep pockets. So we have to be able to pivot because every day for us is a new learning, right? Every customer meeting that we go into, we learn something that might actually change the way we approach our business, which is extremely exciting, but also puts the impetus on us to have an open communication and open dialogue. Uh, around what we're seeing within the business.
0: That's a very good point. And you kind of brought in um, the Rockefeller habit number three, which is all about this cadence of accountability of communication, uh, moving top down, bottom up um, very, very quickly. So we discussed nowadays a lot in SaaS uh, about um, uh, tripling three times and doubling two times for the ones who have never heard about this. So usually it's, how you get to 2 million ARR let's assume that this is clear product market fit and now you are into the scaling up journey you need to go from 2 to 6 from 6 to 18 million this is triple two times and then double three times which is from 18 to 36 36 to 72 and 72 to 144 or 100 plus uh, million so in if you do this you would scale your business in five years let's say that you have mistakes in two of those years you would have seven years and if you have another three years to get to 2 <laughs> million or product market fit, you have a decade so that's that's typically and this is world class uh, very few companies are able uh, to do this so which show us that we always need to be after getting to product market fit, doubling or tripling every single year as the VP of sales, you have a lot of pressure inside every single meeting in the leadership team to understand how the KPIs are moving forward and how much growth uh, are we uh, unlocking. What do you think about this rule? Is this realistic for you? Um, so what, what is your position um, according to this trend or, or theory that we are now preaching in SaaS?
1: So so Mike, first of all, I, w- I will say the rule is spot on and, and then you'll see why I'm grinning because... I don't know if you know the origination of the triple triple double double.
0: That would be awesome. <laughs> so
1: so so the triple triple double double was actually a article that was written uh by um a venture capitalist from Battery oh, yes. Ventures. Yep. Yeah. Uh and uh and the gentleman's name is uh is Niraj, and he is actually on our board. So awesome. Let me caveat <laughs> by saying I believe in the triple triple double double. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, Battery uh, led our, our Series C and, and, and Neeraj uh, was the lead investor. Um, no, so so here's how I look at it. You know, look, I think any executive team needs to figure out what what is the objective uh, that they're trying to do and how fast do they want to do it? Uh, and as you said, the, the triple-triple-double-double double is extremely aggressive, but it gives you a very clear... Uh, set of milestones that you want to get to in a, in a, you know, in a concrete set of time. And as to your point to be world-class uh, you know, a lot of it depends on your product, as you said, achieving product marketing fit, the, the, the TAM, the total adjustable market that you're going after. Uh, and of course, then what is your investment appetite? If, if you're fundraising and you're putting money into your business, uh, can it drive that growth? Right. You know, cause then you look at things like your cash burn and, and all of that. Having said that, yes, it does put a tremendous amount of pressure, but not just on the VP of sales, really on the on the whole organization to say this is what we have to live up to. So our product has to continue to mature um, either to uh, you know address the market that we're trying to go or to grow the market. you know maybe we're going after one vertical, but for us to achieve the triple triple, we're going to have to expand that because we have to widen our opportunity. So you know what is the product team going to do? What is the marketing team going to do? So I think, you know, when I look at different SaaS metrics, whether you look at um, the napkin rule, whether you look at triple, triple, double, double, it's all about setting a defined set of objectives uh, that you're going to look to go after. Uh, you may have to course correct. As you say, you may fall short one year and you may have to say, oh, you know, we didn't hit the double. We came in at, well, you know, 1.8 you know, or, or, but on the flip side, you could come in at 5x, you know, you may overachieve as well. What happens then? You know? So I, I think those are all the different things that you, you as a leadership team need to think about, but I do think it sets a very concrete set of expectations because otherwise you could say, look, we grow up two X every year. Everybody's happy. There there are companies out there that are doing it and they're, they're not taking any investment, So they're, they're happy with that stage of growth. Um, probably a long winded answer to your short question, but I, I, I really think it depends on what the founding team the investors are trying to achieve and in what timeframes, and then you can set your own milestones. Got it,
0: very very good point. And um, one of my favorite questions and one of the main pains of any CEO, it's all about the Rockefeller Abbott number one coming back there. And uh, I assume that this is also one of the main pains of any VP who needs to build his team is to understand how it looks like uh, is version 2.0 or 2.0, 3.0? What kind of profiles should we bring next? What is the right timing uh, to bring the next profiles? And of course, having the right VP of cells uh, for each stage of growth is, is one of the most um, important pains that that the ceo needs to go through so what advice would you give to 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 a ceo or what would you consider if you were the ceo on bringing in uh, a vp of sales
1: yeah so so you know definitely you know my perspective is in the early days you have to have somebody who can roll up their sleeves uh, and get involved in the deal cycle uh, if you have somebody who is too high level and wants to sit behind a Salesforce dashboard or sit in executive meetings and so on, you're, you, they're going to struggle. Because I think in the early days, the only way you're going to understand what works and doesn't work is by being in the field, by leading discussions yourself, by presenting to customers, by negotiating deals. Uh, really doing all that, you know, you know, you know, the, 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 you know, basically putting yourself back in the, in the shoes of a sale, you know, of an account executive of a salesperson Um, that to me is, is absolutely critical because in the early days you don't have your pitch, right. Uh, You don't have your messaging a hundred percent nailed. And a lot of it, you have to be able to fly by the seat of your pants. So I think uh, that is something I would definitely look for early on. The second thing I would look for in that early on category is somebody who is familiar with the buyer that you're selling to. I'm not saying, if, especially if you're an account uh, creating a new account category, uh, for example, maybe you're a sales acceleration tool and you're, you're creating a new tech category, uh, you need somebody who is at least sold to a head of sales before, right? Because they understand the pains, they have that rapport, and maybe they even have some existing relationships that they're bringing to the table. So I think all of those are important early on in in your kind of your first hire. Then as you mature, then you start looking for somebody who can scale. Ideally, you know, it's that same individual can start building a team. And then you're looking for somebody more who along the lines of, you know, a very big part, any sales leader's role is recruiting. And salespeople in particular are very focused on the type of leader that they're going to work for. Um, you know, their expectations are different than hiring, uh, you know, engineer, you know, engineers when they're looking for an engineering leader are very specific and I'm looking for somebody I can learn from who's going to teach me new ways to code, et cetera. Sales professionals, not necessarily looking for that. You, I mean, you have sales professionals who have 20 years of experience who end up working uh, for a sales leader who may not have that same level of experience, but they're looking for somebody who has gravitas, who can get obstacles removed who's going to make sure that the compensation plan is actually honored by the company that they're working for. Believe it or not, that's, that's a challenge in the industry. So all of those types of things. And then, of course, ultimately, you're looking for somebody who can scale the business. You know, has somebody uh, operated a business outside of maybe your core ge- geography is Europe, but you know eventually you're going to need to go to the U.S., has somebody built and led an organization? Do they understand what it takes to penetrate that global market? So I think as you scale the business, you will look for different things in that uh, VP of sales. Got it.
0: That's awesome. I, I was tempted to um, jump in and, and ask um, a question that is related with segment, segmentation, uh, which is usually there is a lot of discussion in the industry uh, of moving upstream, when is the right moment, mom, moment to move upstream or even to have the courage of killing mid markets and focused organization uh, into enterprise. Of course, this will come to a, to an answer uh, which, which which will be it depends on, on, on the company, on the moment, etc. but from your um, experience, uh, what advice can you offer for for leaders to kindly assess this strategic issue, and um, try to make the right decision for yep. for the stage of the company?
1: So, so it's really critical that you know when you're you know as as a as a founding team when you're when you first go to market, is you 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 want to make some educated assumptions, but you don't want to make some fixed rules. And you know, I'll, I'll give, use customer as an example. Um, Brad and Jeremy, our co-founding team, uh, their previous company uh, was in a, in a similar space in the contact center space, but very focused on SMB. And so the entire model that they had previously created was around self-serve, easy setup, uh, and, and really catering to the SMB market. When they actually started building customer, the, the platform, That was their original concept was, hey, let's do a better version of what we had previously done. But the entire mindset was to go after that that same market, the SMB, contact center market. What they learned within a quarter of their go-to-market, so kind of the initial beta customers, the early launch customers, was the value proposition actually spoke to a more sophisticated organization a mid-market enterprise organization. And they so they had to pivot. And obviously they had some great uh, influence and insight from their board at the time, but was we need to pivot. And so they brought in myself, they brought in people that could go and cater to taking us from what was originally conceptually an SMB platform to a mid-market enterprise play. Um, so I think that's really key is don't, preconceive where you're going to sell, who you're going to sell to in the early days. Let the market kind of make that uh, demand for, for lack of a better term. The second piece of it is don't also, at the same time, once you start getting that market traction, you, to the point you said about going mid-market to enterprise, don't jump too far ahead. Where I see people doing, I was recently talking to somebody at a company, pretty mature company, that decided they you know, they were gonna come into this fiscal year and because one of their competitors was doing really well in the large enterprise, they were gonna create a team that was gonna go after a large enterprise. They didn't have the product to support it. They didn't have the marketing, they didn't have the motion. And after a year, what I heard is they're going to scale it back. My approach would have been, why not do a test? If your core business is the mid-market, Why don't we have not set up an entire team, but one or two individuals or some members of that marketing team who maybe are, you know, our best sellers go in and try to see if we can penetrate uh, these enterprise accounts. Do we have the product? Do we have the value proposition? Uh, You know, do we have the ability to generate leads and interest? And then once you get it, then it's like, okay, now we've got one, maybe two. Now you put a bit more firepower behind it. Um, so that's kind of the approach that I've historically taken is you want to kind of, I say, you know, kind of punch slightly above your weight and then put, you know, it's kind of like, you know, here, push behind it and then take take incremental steps. You make big steps and the rest of the organization is catching up behind you as a sales leader. You're basically setting yourself up for failure.
0: That's, that's a very good point is really being humble and listening to the markets and not trying to go uh, against the markets and something that uh, i was discussing with with the ceo of, of zoom eric uh Yuen, and he was telling me and you also talking about this in in your amazing uh, insights which is test the waters and then double down on what works and i found it very very simple but very very wise and very very difficult to do, we, we tend to be anxious to make the decision and then uh, completely commit to the decision and start and stop listening. So we made a decision. We don't want to think about this. We don't want to change. But and then we stop listening because we we are completely trying to find out points that validate our own decision. And we are not flexible to to change the course. And um, so I think it's, it's something very, very difficult to do. Very good. And we are coming to the end of the show and so much more questions that I would love to, to ask you. Uh, but I would like to ask my favorite question to, to close the show, which is uh, if you would have the opportunity to meet yourself, uh, at the beginning of your career as customer, what advice would you offer yourself?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- this is pr- pretty easy for me because, uh, I've reflected a lot on this. Um, I I was at the point, at because we were moving and growing so fast at customer, which is extremely exciting and rewarding in itself, I got to the point where at one point, I think I had somewhere between 20 and 30 direct reports between sales and customer experience. Uh, I should have taken time out to really focus on bringing in that next level of leadership uh, sooner rather than later. It takes time because, you know, going out and, and... You know, uh, working through your network, recruiting, et cetera, to bring in that next level. And it was very important to me as well, because remember, a lot of the people that, you know, had come on this journey with me, I I had recruited and, you know, started as a small team and and suddenly grew really fast. Uh, But that would be my biggest thing, because it was not only was I absolutely exhausted, uh, because it was a global team, you know, people in the UK, people on the West Coast, people in, in New York. But also it was a disservice to them. And that actually hurts me in a way more than whatever, you know, challenges it put on me uh, from a time commitment standpoint. It was, I didn't think I did a full service to these individuals, my team members, and their ability to grow in the early days and really, you know, uh, embrace the journey they were on, right? Because I was giving them, you know, flyby, you know, 15 minutes, I can give you five, you know. And and so that w- that's my my, you know, kind of feedback to my younger self and also to a lot of people that are in my position uh, that are starting out at early stage companies. I'm like, look, whatever you do, bring in that next level of leadership sooner rather than later, even if you have to go fight for the budget, whatever it is, uh, because it will help you and it will fundamentally help your team in the long run.
0: Very, very good points. And just a a final one, which is, and what are your next big challenges, Ed? So, how would you like to build your legacy around in your career?
1: So, so for me, uh, you know, I'm getting to the stage of my life where I, I'm starting to think about that, uh, and 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 you know, which is crazy. I don't know how I got here, uh, but you know, to me, I I, I want to you know, be remembered. Like so. Yeah. That's
0: sure what you're talking about, but okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I want to, yeah, I've got a birthday coming up in January. So I, <laughs> you know, I want to be remembered as uh, somebody who built uh, and led great teams. Um, I take the responsibility of every individual who comes into my organization very personally. I'm very proud of some of the successes uh, that some of my team members at Live Person, Eight by Eight, and now Customer have had in their journeys at that company and then beyond, right? I have a person that started out for me as a sales engineer, who's now a, a, a VP of sales uh, for a software company. So I just love seeing that. So that is really for me, as I look at the next, you know, 10, 15 years of my career, uh, I want to be part of great leadership teams that build great companies. Uh, and, you know, I'd love, you know, for people to remember me as a, as a leader uh, that inspired them that they work for it and learn from.
0: Thank you so much because it was really a pleasure to have you on the show and you have really inspired me at least and, and i'm sure our community as well thanks mike so to our community thank you so much for for joining us and for always being so loyal and so supportive uh, feel free to reach out to us uh, in order to challenge us with new topics that you are facing so we can keep compressing the key scaling up lessons to help you scale your business from 2 million to 100 million uh, air So see you next time, and thanks again for joining.